0: Hello, and welcome to Sprott Radio. I'm your host, Ed Coyne, Senior Managing Partner at Sprott Asset Management. With me today is our very own CEO, Whitney George of Sprott, Inc. Whitney, thank you for joining Sprott Radio. It's
1: a pleasure to be here, Ed. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Well, Whitney, for today's show, I thought it'd be fun to cover the evolution of both Sprott and the world of metals. But before we do, I think our listeners would enjoy hearing a bit about yourself and how you actually found your way to Sprott.
1: Okay, well, it's a long story. I think um, while I was at Royce for 23 years, a lot of them with you, Ed, I became very interested in um, mining companies around 2000. I came to the conclusion that uh, after the long-term capital management disaster in, in 98. And then the, uh, the ensuing recession that printing money to solve any kind of short-term problem was you know, here to stay. I was always a huge fan of asset managers. And to find the combination of that exposure in Sprott was very exciting to me. Sprott came public in May of 2008. And I got to know Eric Sprott. I got to know Peter Groskopf, the CEO. Uh, we became their largest institutional shareholder. That worked out very well for us coming out of the uh, financial crisis. In um, about 2013-14, what I did with Royce & Associates, small cap value investor investing, fell out of favor. Now, at Royce in the 90s, we did something that turned out to be very clever, which was gather up all the talent that was available in our stock hiring some of Chuck Royce's most experienced competitors because at that time our strategy was very much out of favor. Everybody wanted uh, big cap tech and dot com, but the world changed in 2000. We found ourselves in a really wonderful position of essentially being the go-to resource asset manager in small cap value investing, and that worked very well for over a decade. So when I looked around the world um, in 2014, uh, gold was in a bear market. Uh, precious metals. Uh, the miners were in a, in a steep bear market, and I thought, gee, I wonder if I could do this again. I.e., wait into a bear market when everybody else was leaving, gather the talent, and wait for the tide to turn, and be the you know the go-to experts and specialists in that particular niche. I joined Sprott in March of 2015. After a couple of years, I was able to convince the board that maybe there were two strategies here: the general Canadian mutual fund business and our precious metals business, and maybe the two didn't go together. So we separated from what is now called Nine Point in August of 2017, and actually began to put the vision that I had for Sprott together, making acquisitions early on of the central fund and converting it into one of our physical trusts. We later acquired the mutual fund business of Tocqueville and brought on John Hathaway and his team and their funds. And uh, it, it all started to come together. You know, we were something under $5 billion in AUM when we separated in, in 2017, and we're sitting around $25 billion or so in AUM now. So, and, and that's not with a great tailwind in precious metal prices. Then a couple of years ago, we were able to consummate a transaction in the uranium space. It's not that we were so smart about timing. We'd actually been working on that for two years or more, but we were able to buy a C corporation and convert it into a vehicle that investors found very appealing because it provided security, transparency to spot uranium prices. And that that really was our launch into what we now refer to as energy transition materials, depending on how you calculate silver in the mix, because it's both a precious metal and an energy transition material. That part of our business now makes about a third of our AUM and is also a very exciting you know, part of our future.
0: Well, Whitney, that's a really unique evolution of what's happened with Sprott from being a pure precious metals firm and spinning off you know, nine points and so forth. What does that transition look like as you go from just pure precious metals to these energy transition markets in general with different types of metals? What have been some of the setbacks? What have been some of the opportunities that have been exciting for us as a firm? What are you seeing there?
1: You know, the most difficult part is being patient and persevering. you know, creating these new products is not easy. They're not all quickly adopted. People are in energy transition or decarbonization, much more excited about electric vehicles. Now, finally, they're getting excited about nuclear energy as a solution for decarbonizing. But again, nobody's paid any attention to the mining industry for two decades. It's just not on most people's radar screens. They haven't kind of thought through the consequences of what is required in terms of raw materials to achieve the kinds of goals that they've laid out for decarbonization. There's a lot of interesting conversation going on. It's still very, very early days. But again, the biggest challenge is being patient and walking your investor base along this transformation. We basically, I think, got ahead of things by going all the way upstream and saying, "Okay, if you want to do all these things, what do you need to do it? It turns out you need a lot of mind material now happens through our precious metals franchise. We have deep expertise in mining in general. Very often, all of these materials come out of the same holes in the ground. Copper along with gold, silver along with nickel and gold. I mean, it's an interesting mix. And a mine is a mine. It's the same process. Many of our senior portfolio managers have experience investing in what we used to call base metals. They are now critical minerals. So nothing like changing the name of what you're doing to get people excited. But I think a third of our investment team have degrees in geology. We have an economic geologist on our team. We have technical people you know, on our team. So I don't think anybody has taken the time or will for some time to make the kind of human capital investment we have made to understand and pursue investments in mining, And then that leads to a a level of expertise to create passive products, as well as active ones by people who really understand, you know, what's important. There are a lot of competing products out there. They're not necessarily constructed by people who understand mining and the fact that when you think you bought a copper mine, a lot of it's iron ore or coking coal or, you know, what have you, and you're not actually getting that much copper. Now that has helped us develop both active and passively managed products. We also have a very nice private strategy business that has some of the largest pension and endowments as their clients that do private credit to the mining industry. We understand all parts of the capital structure, all parts of the cap range from tiny little exploration companies all the way up to the largest miners. I think that embedded expertise gives us a chance to provide really intelligent products for our client base. Speaking of
0: investing, you know, investors have long used gold as a natural hedge, and, and the miners is, is a way to potentially add long-term returns to a portfolio. You know, as we transition or as we expand our footprint into the energy transition market, how should investors think about this? How should they categorize this space? What would it look like in a portfolio, whether you're speaking of your own personal portfolio or you're talking to an advisor or a family office, what would you say to them on how this energy transition opportunity should fit into a portfolio?
1: Well, even before we get to energy transition, starting with gold, you know, one really well-kept secret is this century, since the beginning of 2000, gold has outperformed the S&P with dividends. This is not a laggard kind of investment. It's also done that in a very non-correlated way. I have owned 10% of my net worth in physical gold since about 2000, either through some coins, but mostly through our own products. And so that's the physical side. I view it as part of the 40 in a 60-40 in lieu of bonds. It's a currency. It's been a very useful tool, and I don't think people really either believe it or want to hear about it because owning gold you know, may put you in a crowd that most professional investors may not want to be associated with.
0: It's a low cost, simple solution. I think sometimes when things are that simple, people don't believe they actually work. And it it certainly has, that's for sure.
1: On energy transition materials, and we're talking about, you know, obviously uranium uh, for a resurgence of nuclear power as one of the solutions. But you're also talking about the battery materials, copper, cobalt, lithium, nickel, which you know are not well understood. So we're looking at ways to provide both a physical exposure which will be I think a, a bit more stable and then equities in both categories I think represent a tactical allocation. I think the timing is very good right now and uh, gold equities have never been cheaper relative to gold and and just about anything else. That's true also of copper miners and some of the other you know, multi metallic miners out there. You can get very nice free cash flow yields, very good financial metrics. They're certainly not overbought, overloved, or overowned. They're basically not in people's portfolios. So again, I think one starts with the physicals, then the next logical step is a smaller allocation to the more volatile mining companies.
0: And why do you think there's a disconnect there? Because you do see the physical market, we'll just use gold as an example, but really all, all the metals out there are doing quite well over multiple market cycles, yet there hasn't been this bifurcation or disconnect from the from the miners or the equities. Any thoughts to why that is?
1: It's a tough business to start with. The equities themselves are volatile. It's a capital intensive business, which means that, you know, they're, they're always issuing shares. At the peak of cycles, they have tended to overspend on acquisitions. And of course, you know, at the bottom of the cycles, they stop spending on exploration and development. So it's a tricky business to manage and therefore maybe viewed as a trickier business to invest in. And again, for over a decade, it's been very easy to put your money in an S&P 500 index, pay low fees, and enjoy the ride. One of the interesting things that we've achieved at this point, at the end of the second quarter, is five companies make up 24% of the S&P 500. Kind of hardly the diversified portfolio that people think they're buying into. The last time we saw that level of concentration in the S&P 500 was, guess when? Not 2000, 1973, 50 years ago. What happened after that was pretty ugly. The Dow was down 45% in the next couple of years. A terrible bear market, 73, 74, ended just about at the beginning of 75. But the good news for us is that in that period, gold went up 100% and gold equities went up nearly 200%. So again, gold was a good diversifier back then. It wasn't, you know, widely held and obviously it had a very good run and but you know, there are a lot of conditions out there right now, the resurgence of inflation that have that kind of early 70s kind of look to them. And so I think it's dangerous to be entirely passively invested when you're basically relying on five stocks to do a quarter of the work. And then the other 495, the rest. And I think
0: that's a staggering number, actually, going back to 1973, when you had that level of concentration. I think from an opportunity standpoint, then, you got to believe that the energy transition space whether it's the creation of energy like you mentioned with uranium or the distribution or, or the storage of energy which is what I think most investors are focused on that to me is I think where the the greatest opportunities are going to lie so as a CEO of of Sprott you know what are you seeing down the road you know as you continue to position this firm going forward what are some of the opportunities that you hope to see or hope to discover in the next couple of years what what's getting you excited about the coming months or quarters or years
1: there is an enormous investment that needs to be made in the mining industry. Electric vehicles, obviously, have captured everybody's attention. I don't think most people understand it takes a half a million pounds of digging up dirt to make one battery for an electric vehicle. And that is going to go up because for a century, the grades of material in these mines has been declining. We've we've kind of found all of the the easy stuff, Uh, not only, do you have a great issue you have the fact that mother nature didn't always put these materials in convenient places so you know you know in response to the demand the price of these materials is going to have to go up and go up dramatically in order to create the economic incentives for people to make the investment to in order to produce more material you know the attention's been on electric vehicles i'd flip people's attention to the cloud and artificial intelligence. That's currently the very exciting thing, but I don't think people understand how much electricity the cloud takes. There are about 5,000 cloud centers, data warehouses in the world right now. They're about the size of the Empire State Building. They command five times the rent as commercial real estate, and they consume 100 times the amount of power. So whether you're talking about the power generation, whether you're talking about the grid, whether you're talking about the storage that you need through batteries to handle intermittent producers like solar and wind, these are just going to require what I think is a super cycle in these space materials commodities, which we now call critical minerals.
0: Well, you know, we've talked a lot about the opportunities, both on the precious metal side and the energy transition side. What about on the risk side? Is there any kind of bumps in the night or things that could potentially derail these opportunities or derail the demand? Anything out there that you think we should be worried about or be thinking about or be aware of?
1: Well, there's a economic point where if you get a very bad recession, demand for everything goes down, demand for electric vehicles dries up, they are somewhat of a luxury item, you know, at this stage. Gold specifically, when there's a liquidity crisis, you've seen the gold goes down first because it is liquid. But what we've also seen, whether it was after the financial crisis or after the lockdown in 2020, it's the first thing that gets replaced. So, I mean, in the short run, obviously anything can happen or Federal Reserve pushing us into an illiquid liquidity crunch could come out of everything. That's a real risk in my mind, and it's, it's a near term risk longer term, I think that the money printing begins again. I think we have to accept the fact that we are going to be in a higher, maybe not hyper, but higher inflationary environment for a long time. That's driven by just the fundamentals of uh, both geopolitics and de-globalization. And it's also driven by decarbonization goals. Here in this country, in America, we are very mining unfriendly. And so that remains to be an issue that I think somebody will wake up to one day and say, well, that's sort of silly. We can't be importing all these things from China. And it'll be in mining, and then it'll also be in processing that mine material, where you have, in the case of rare earths, China processes 80% of them. In the case of uranium, Russia processes 40% of that. In general, commodities have never been such a small allocation in people's portfolios as we are today so kind of hard to hurt yourself falling out a basement window
0: (laughs) good point well you know we we could probably spend another 20 minutes talking about this but just to be interested of of everyone's time is there anything that i didn't ask that you think we should leave the listeners with today as it relates to whether it's sprot precious metals or energy transition Opportunities. Uh, no, I
1: mean, I'm very excited about where Sprout is. We have a fabulous culture of owner-operators. We own significant amounts, uh, both individually and corporately, of our own products. And I think we're here as people come to find these opportunities, hopefully as an expert resource. And so... Looking forward to the next couple of years and seeing how this plays out.
0: Well, as am I. And, and Whitney, You know, this was a real treat to have you on. I, I really appreciate you taking some time today to speak to us on Sprout Radio. So thank you for making that time.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Ed. It's been a pleasure. Well, for our
0: listeners who'd like to learn more about Sprout's extensive work, whether it's in the precious metal space or the energy transition opportunities, you know, I encourage you to always visit us at Sprott.com. That's S-P-R-O-T-T dot com.
1: And once again, I'm Ed Coyne, and thank you for listening to Sprout Radio. This podcast is
2: provided for information purposes only from sources believed to be reliable. However, Sprout does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. Any opinions and estimates constitute our judgment as of the date of this material, and are subject to change without notice past performance is not indicative of future results. This communication is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument. Any opinions and recommendations herein do not take into account individual client circumstances, objectives or needs, and are not intended as recommendations of particular securities, financial instruments or strategies. You must make your own independent decisions regarding any securities, financial instruments or strategies mentioned or related to the information herein. This communication may not be redistributed or retransmitted in whole or in part or in any form or manner without the express written consent of Sprott. Any unauthorized use or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and review of this information constitutes your agreement not to redistribute or retransmit the contents and information contained in this communication without first obtaining express permission from an authorized officer of Sprott.